0: you've probably heard about something called mindfulness. Everyone's been talking about it and how it can improve well-being and boost performance. Can mindfulness treat cancer? Help you fall asleep? Maybe. But through all the hype, we might be losing sight of what mindfulness actually is and is not. Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Wu. Every week, I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Today, let's take a balanced look at mindfulness science to bust some myths. Recently, a friend of mine discovered mindfulness meditation. She's now as close to being a fanatic, her word, as a person can be to something so gentle. She told me that meditating every day has not only made her happier and more productive, it's even helped her heal injuries. This last part definitely caught me off guard. Heal injuries? How? Well, my friend offered an example. She explained that she recently scraped her knee, and to help with healing, she just stopped and meditated with her full attention on the scrape twice a day. The knee scabbed over and healed within a couple of days. She felt that was a lot faster and less painful than usual. You also clean the scrape to prevent infection, right? I asked. No, 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 you don't need to do that, she said. Your body will always heal itself if you really meditate mindfully. Now, I'm certainly happy that my friend is in good spirits and experiencing less discomfort. But her mindfulness is a cure-all stance has me scratching my head and that stance isn't limited to my friend. A lot of people seem to be jumping on the mindfulness fixes everything train. In the past decade or so, mindfulness seems to be exponentially growing in popularity. Everyone and their mom is getting into it. Neuroscientists, doctors, corporate executives, lifestyle gurus, they're all excited about its potential for improving our lives. And there's good reason for the hype too. Research shows that mindfulness can help to reduce cancer-related symptoms, improve the childbirth experience, reduce stress, increase empathy, and even promote healthier eating habits. The U.S. Army is investing in research to see if pre-deployment mindfulness training can make soldiers more resilient. Tech giants like Google and Intel are offering mindfulness training to help employees improve productivity. And of course, mindfulness is widely practiced in mental health now. As more and more of us mental health professionals are incorporating it into our therapies, it's kind of hard to talk to a therapist without mindfulness coming up. But is it possible that sometimes we're getting a little carried away? Is mindfulness really a cure-all? First, let me say that I'm a big fan of mindfulness as a philosophy and as a practice. I say this as both a clinical scientist and a person who practices mindfulness pretty much daily. It's been really helpful through chronic back pain and managing coronavirus anxiety. It's been a really good thing for me. But I also think that being careful in the way that we think and talk about mindfulness is important. I don't want mindfulness to be a passing fad like bell-bottoms or jazzercise, and that can happen when we exaggerate claims about its effectiveness. For mindfulness to truly help people, it needs to have a legitimate place in our culture, backed by an accurate understanding of what it is and what it isn't. So, I'm excited to share this two-part series on demystifying mindfulness. Today, I'll clarify what exactly mindfulness is and isn't, what it can do, And next week, we'll dig into some practical tips for how you can effectively incorporate mindfulness into your life. First things first, mindfulness is not necessarily meditation. It's important to make a distinction between these two things, and here's why. Meditation is an activity, something that you do. There are many forms of meditation. Some involve paying attention to breathing, some involve imagining a scene. Some involve repeating a mantra. Usually, you would need to set aside time and a quiet place to practice meditation. Mindfulness, on the other hand, is more of a philosophy than an activity. It's an idea to simply be here and now without judgment. You don't need to be sitting or closing your eyes or following a ritual during a set aside time to practice mindfulness. You could be eating an apple, washing dishes walking from the parking lot to the store, playing with your dog, singing in the shower, all of these activities can be done in a mindful way by simply being present in the moment. Of course, you can practice mindfulness using meditation. One of my favorite meditations is the mindful breathing practice. You simply breathe and pay attention to your breath without judgment. And that's it but not all meditation is mindful. For example, some meditations guide your imagination through a relaxing scene, but mentally traveling to a different place instead of being here and now is literally the opposite of being mindful. And I think this difference is very important, because if we think mindfulness always looks like sitting cross-legged and humming a mantra, then we're missing the point. And we're less likely to give mindfulness a real try and even less likely to cultivate it in the long term. The next thing I want to mention is that mindfulness is not a cure-all. Like I mentioned earlier, mindfulness has been incorporated into all sorts of psychotherapies and other treatments and even into performance-boosting programs lots of headlines make it seem like mindfulness is the panacea for all of our ills, from low motivation to anxiety to sleeplessness. But maybe we're starting to blow it up a little bit too much. Let's take a step back and look at what the research really shows. Most of the clinical trials that show mindfulness as improving symptoms included other psychotherapy ingredients, like working through unhelpful thoughts or increasing activity level. So the headlines, if they were more precise, would read more like, Mindfulness practice plus setting goals and talking to a therapist about your thoughts is helpful for decreasing stress. Less catchy, but more accurate. So I like to think of mindfulness as a healthy foundation, a way for us to connect non-judgmentally with our bodies and minds so we're not struggling against ourselves when we're in pain or feeling down. Instead, mindfulness helps us to have a more compassionate view of our experiences, so we end up feeling less at odds with ourselves. And because mindfulness is not a cure-all, it should not replace your doctor's advice or other standard treatments. I really hope my friend with a scraped knee will practice proper injury care next time, like disinfecting broken skin and icing inflammation, though I'm not too worried about minor injuries like that. It's serious injuries and health conditions that I want to be really clear about. For those, mindfulness alone is not enough. My friend is not totally wrong about mindful healing. You may have heard of research showing that mindfulness-based approaches may be helpful for people undergoing physical rehab after an injury. But it doesn't work miracles. You won't suddenly turn into Wolverine with self-healing superpowers. But when you're injured, mindfulness can help with managing pain, improving mood, and decreasing fatigue. When it comes to serious psychiatric conditions, there is also some evidence that mindfulness can decrease symptoms of psychosis. But this more applies to improving motivation and daily functioning, not so much hallucinations or delusions. So although mindfulness is not a cure, as long as you're getting proper treatment for your illness, cultivating mindfulness just might make it a little easier to live and enjoy your life. Now I want to make a special note about trauma because mindfulness does not sweep away psychological scars. I know how hard it is to face trauma. If you've experienced a life-threatening event or childhood abuse, you know that trauma leaves its mark on your body and mind. Even if you don't have full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, you may have problems like feeling on edge all the time, having unexplained pain or other physical symptoms, having a hard time managing emotions, or not sleeping well. The good news is that mindfulness-based practices can reduce PTSD symptoms. The tough news is that reducing symptoms Doesn't mean getting to the other side of trauma, the place where you truly make peace with both what happened and make peace with yourself. Trauma burrows deep into our brains. It won't simply fizzle away when you get in better touch with your body and emotions. In fact, sometimes beginning to practice mindfulness when you have a trauma history will bring on difficult feelings and memories more than ever. I remember one patient I had who used to have the radio or TV on 24-7. We talked about mindfulness, about being in the moment, and the first time she went home and went for a mindful walk without any distractions, she immediately burst into tears. For the first time, her bottled up emotions had room to burst forth. For others, mindfulness practice might even trigger traumatic flashbacks. Now, this doesn't mean that people with trauma should not practice mindfulness. It's actually a really good place to start. But ultimately, I recommend working with a trauma-focused therapist who can give you evidence-based treatments like cognitive processing therapy to help you incorporate mindfulness safely. And I want to bust just one more myth today about mindfulness, which is that it's not a tool for patching up physical, mental, or spiritual problems. As a sleep specialist, I often hear people say that they've tried mindfulness apps when they couldn't sleep, but they also tell me this technique often doesn't work. But what they and many others are trying to do is to use mindfulness meditation as a fix-it tool, and unfortunately, they're disappointed when it doesn't solve their problem of the moment. Mindfulness is not a tool to be whipped out when things go awry. Instead, it's a philosophy and a way of being. Your body and mind need to learn how to be mindful over time, and it's not easy. Just as you wouldn't sit on the couch all year and expect to run a marathon, you can't go around unmindfully all the time and then expect to be good at it when you run into, say, insomnia or stress or pain or anger. Besides, if you're using mindfulness to avoid problems, you're missing the point. Mindfulness teaches us to fully feel and accept our experiences, including painful or unhappy ones. The hope is to cultivate an authentic relationship with ourselves and our surroundings, not to patch up whatever we don't like. To sum up, mindfulness is powerful. It can serve as a solid foundation for self-awareness and well-being. But it's not a tool and it's not a cure-all it's a philosophy and a practice. When we boil it down to the basics, being mindful really just means to pay attention to reality through our five senses. It means to watch the road and trees when we're driving instead of going on autopilot and just thinking about politics the whole way. It means to let yourself feel discomfort ebbing and flowing instead of trying to ignore it. It means really tasting the food you're eating instead of inhaling your sandwich while working at your desk. Now next week we'll talk more about what mindfulness looks like in practice and how you can incorporate it into your own life. Meanwhile, thank you so much for listening. Let me know your questions about mindfulness and your experiences with practicing it. You can reach me on Twitter and Facebook. I'm at QDT Savvy Psych and also at Jadewoo PhD. We can also keep in touch through the Savvy Psychologist newsletter, which gives you psychology tips and other cool things directly into your inbox. Savvy Psychologist is audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg and edited by Karen Hertzberg. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thanks again for joining me, and I'll see you next week for a happier, healthier mind.
1: Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called the anxiety coaches podcast, where the host Gina gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart and bring peace back into your life. So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into the Anxiety Coaches podcast and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. Listen in and start your path to healing today. TheAnxietyCoachesPodcast.com Because healing begins the first time you listen.